This is the Brain Over Belly podcast, solving the puzzle of obesity with Dr. David Brown of Idaho BMI. Weight struggles can be confusing, frustrating, and painful, especially when nothing you try works and everyone thinks the real problem is you. Not your best life, right? Brain Over Belly reveals the real cause of weight struggles and follows the journey of two special people as they lose weight and keep it off for life with the help of Dr. David Brown and Idaho BMI. What have you got to lose? Here's your host, Rick Dunn. Okay, here we go. First episode. I'm a little bit nervous about this. I don't know about you. Yeah, I am. (laughs) Uh, We have a very special guest today, and this is the beginning of something incredible that I'm excited to be a part of, Dr. David Brown with Idaho BMI. Why don't you tell us about this journey that we're about to go on here? What do you do, and who are you going to do it with? So I help people who are struggling with their weight and with obesity. It's a very common problem. Uh, Roughly 72% of Americans are either overweight or obese. And it's a problem that is very misunderstood, and there's so much information out there. And it's really hard for people to know what they can do And so I help them navigating through all the misinformation and really solve the puzzle that is obesity. Ultimately, what we do is help people overcome this challenge in their life and help them to return to who they really are and become their true selves, their best selves. I've seen a lot of, um, I mean, diets, of course, and there's all of us have gone through everything where people start something, works for a little while, and then the weight comes back on. Sometimes it even gets worse. What what are you going to do that's going to make that different for people? Well, first, uh, it's so important to identify the real problem or the real cause of obesity, which generally we are not doing. It's, uh, you know, what we are told is that people just eat too much. Yeah. And that sounds right, but it's not. Uh, It's far more nuanced than that. Which is why we call this brain over belly, right? Because that's where it is. It's in your brain. Well, it's it's a complicated problem, and people feel like it's their fault, that they don't have enough willpower, or somehow they're flawed. And the reality is, it's, it's far more complicated than that, and there are factors involved that they haven't thought about. So we're going to grab two beautiful women here in the Boise area, and we're going to go on an incredible journey where they are going to learn a lot. What are they going to learn? What in your mind right now, we never know where this is going to go. It's going to be exciting to see this. But in your mind right now, where do you see this going? What do you think is going to happen with these ladies? Well, I see them discovering what really the problem is fundamentally in their lives, what has resulted in them being overweight, and what they can do to overcome that, not just for three months or six months or a year, but for the rest of their lives, and to arrive at a place in their lives where they really are in total control, where it's not a daily challenge of willpower and feeling like they need to starve themselves. It becomes something that's very easy. So if somebody's listening right now, and they've been dealing with these issues for for who knows how long. And they're saying, this sounds like something I would be interested in. What are the first steps they need to take? What should they do? Yeah, they're listening to this. They're hearing about these things. But where do they go? What do they do? 
Well, I think the first thing is just to listen to this podcast. Over the next several months, uh, we will cover all the different topics uh, and all of the different factors that go into a person becoming overweight. And so first is just obtaining information. And there's a lot out there, but there's some key information that people are not understanding or being exposed to. And so the first thing to do is to listen and to consider what we're talking about and then to seek further help, further advice. And of course, at Idaho BMI, that's what we do. Essentially, 100% is help people understand this information and then take the next steps acting on that information. What kind of people do you work with? Like if, you know, I've got a sister. She, she thinks she's overweight. I don't, maybe she is. It's like 10 pounds. Uh, which types of people or, or do you not really put people into a category there? You pretty much accept everybody. Correct. So yesterday I saw a patient who was 16, and the oldest patient I've helped through bariatric surgery is 79. And this problem affects people from all different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, education backgrounds, ethnicities. It affects everybody. And so we see a little bit of everything in our clinic, um, all ages and all backgrounds, people who are 40 pounds overweight, people who are 300 pounds overweight. And then what are we, I'm just wondering if, if I want to sign up for something like this, maybe I'm a little scared because I don't understand it. There's obviously a mental side, a big mental part. How long is it going to take? What am I in for if I come in and sit down with you? Sure. So the process from the first time we meet somebody to, say, a year after their operation, it's about 18 months. We see people once a month uh, before surgery, usually three to five months, and then we see them once a month for at least a year after surgery. So it is a comprehensive, fairly long-term program and relationship that we have with people, and that's really what is required to really tackle the problem. When people come in and they sit down with you, I mean, what are these people like when they start compared to when they finish? Or, I mean, I can imagine, I can think about it. I, I've, we all have problems, we're people. And uh, this, this is a big problem for a lot of people. And it really, I, I don't know, what is it like when that patient sits down with you for the first time? So everybody is nervous. Yeah. Uh, and everybody honestly is embarrassed and they feel ashamed. Again, they've been filled with these ideas throughout their lives that it's their fault. They've done something wrong or they haven't done something, and it's their fault. They're embarrassed, but they feel very vulnerable when they come in. So it's a, it's a sacred space, and we uh, respect these folks, and uh, we love meeting new people. So why are we calling this brain over belly? What does that mean, brain over belly? Well, it certainly contradicts the traditional thinking about obesity. Um, the real cause of obesity actually has more to do with a person's brain and central nervous system than anything else. And that is largely why dieting never works. Um, I often use an analogy with my patients, and I ask them to imagine themselves in the cockpit of a 747. And in front of them, of course, would be a big panel of switches, levers, dials, and instruments. 
Well, what this represents is a person's brain and all of the settings or instruments in a person's brain that control weight, appetite, metabolism, cravings, blood glucose, all of this stuff. The master controls are in the brain. It's as if we have a bunch of mini thermostats in the brain that are controlling all this stuff. Well, the problem today, as you know, 42% of American adults are obese. The problem is that modern foods, and many people, including me, would call them hyperpalatable foods, uh, they're processed and engineered very carefully. These foods essentially mess up all of these settings in a person's brain. It's as if someone went in and turned up all of the thermostats all the way to the top. Hmm. And dieting and exercise, that will not change or reset the settings on those little thermostats. Okay, so everything's uh, overheating in our brains, basically. Well, sort of. Uh, have you ever heard of Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I have. <laughs> so every 4th of July, uh, they sponsor a hot dog eating contest. Yeah. And these people show up and they'll eat something like 80 hot dogs with bonds in 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, to prepare for this contest, these folks will sit down and they'll eat really just a boatload of hot dogs and buns, and they'll get to a point where they feel like, if I have one more bite, I'm going to be really sick. Well, they've learned a trick. In that very moment, they'll grab a bowl of ice cream. Very, very different temperature, flavor, texture, mm -hmm. smell, even sound. They'll eat this bowl of ice cream. And once they're done with the bowl of ice cream, they can start all over on the hot dogs. They can buns. eat another 80 hot dogs? Well, I don't know about 80. <laughs> but the idea is that they've learned to trick their brain wow. or detach the brain from the normal, healthy feedback system in a person's body. Well, this idea, this concept has been used in the modern food industry to essentially mess up these settings in a person's brain. So really the fundamental problem that's happening is a, a form of disorientation. People become detached from this normal, healthy sensory feedback system. And I would actually define the fundamental cause of obesity as neurological and metabolic disorientation. So the challenge is actually reorienting or reattaching to one's innate, normal feedback system in their body. So you're retraining the brain, basically. Yes, right? exactly. And when that happens, can the brain go back to where it was? Or, I mean, I guess it can, right? Yes. Uh, when I was in medical school, which now is 20 years ago, the idea, the dogma of the time was that once a person was through adolescence, their brain was formatted and it was essentially locked in. People could learn things, but the brain was programmed and you couldn't really change it. Well, fortunately, over the last 20 years, a lot of really wonderful research has shown that that is not the case, that we can change the organization, function, and even structure of a person's brain at any stage of the life. So how difficult is it once somebody sits down with you, they go through this process, how hard, you know, because I think about things like when I would, I used to love watching The Biggest Loser. It was a fun show to watch. It was always inspiring to me to see these people work so hard. What killed me is when I saw these people a year later and they gained all that weight back, how hard is it when somebody comes and sits down with you, goes through this process, 
to to stick with what they need to stick with? Or is the brain at a point then to where it's not that difficult at all? That's exactly what we're shooting for. So I, I met with a young gal yesterday who's about five months out from her operation, her bariatric procedure. Uh, she's lost over 100 pounds in five months. And I very often ask people at this stage, hey, is, is it a challenge for you every day? Yeah. Is it, a, you know, is it difficult? She said, not at all. She said, it is so easy. I'm never hungry. I don't have cravings. I really don't want the foods that I used to want. Wow. And that's the key, and that's the power of putting these different tools together. Is, you know, we have all been there where we've felt like we need to starve ourselves and go out and exercise like crazy every day. That's hard, and, and it doesn't work because it's not targeting the right things. Yeah. No one can live their whole lives feeling like they're super hungry. And so the key is to alter the brain, reprogram the brain. Uh, and so people aren't hungry. They don't crave sweets or the foods that are unhealthy. So when I go to Taco Bell and I order the two bean burritos and I want to order the third or the fourth bean burrito, once I go through this, I'm not going to want to order that third or fourth burrito. <laughs> you, Hopefully, right? You wouldn't want a burrito. <laughs> I wouldn't want a burrito, period. Correct. Wow. You're retraining the brain that good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's pretty impressive. And quite honestly, um, the vast majority of people underestimate their ability to succeed. Uh, they, a lot of people who are, say, 150 pounds overweight yeah. say to themselves, you know, I'd be happy to lose 50 pounds. If I could do that, I'd be very happy. And the reality is six or nine months later, they're at a place they never thought was possible. Wow. So how do you retrain the brain? How does that work? Well, as you know, I am a bariatric surgeon. I do bariatric surgery. I think the way that bariatric surgery works is very often misunderstood. So in bariatric surgery, usually nowadays, uh, what we are doing is changing the anatomy of the stomach and sometimes the intestines. Well, have you ever heard of the gut-brain axis? Or the uh, I gut? haven't. Okay. Well, there is this thing called the gut-brain axis or the uh -huh. gut-brain connection. Okay. The brain and the intestinal tract are very intimately connected and are constantly communicating with each other and influencing and even controlling each other. Well, the truth is, when we alter the anatomy of the intestinal tract, uh, we are opening up a gateway to the brain. And these operations generate a tremendous amount of new biofeedback for a person. Um, it's very common for me to go into the hospital and to see a patient who was operated on the, the day before, and they'll make a comment like, geez, this, this sugar-free jello in the hospital is very sweet. <laughs> really? Uh, sense of smell, sense of taste, obviously how much a person can drink, how much they can eat is changed overnight. But it is really this change in communication between the gut and the brain uh, that allows us sort of direct access to the brain and so we can alter the brain programming. The key is to simply know what, to, what behaviors to be repeating every day 
to direct this reprogramming process in a way that's going to lead to long-term success. I'm curious if going through this retraining process, does that help people that have like addictions, like alcohol addictions or uh, because I would imagine you wouldn't want to drink as much alcohol? Does that fall into the same area as like the, the burrito? Interesting question. Yes. Uh, the fundamental problem behind obesity is um, very similar to a lot of all the other problems. If you think about anxiety and depression and PTSD, the fundamental um, neurology is very similar. Uh, but you bring up a very good question. As we're reprogramming the brain relating to food and to weight, can we do other things? And the truth is, yeah, in my experience, we can help people change other parts of their lives and uh, that they want to and that we... This is the magic pill we've all been waiting for then, right? <laughs> um, it's not easy. <laughs> no, I'm, I know. I'm simplifying it, obviously. Sure. <laughs> um, it's simple, but it's not easy. And I very often tell people this is all about doing very small things very consistently. Yeah. And in doing this, we remove the willpower as a major factor. So the surgery is, that's one of the first steps? The process leading up to surgery usually takes three to five months. Okay. And before surgery, we almost always are focusing on food and nutrition. Okay. The pillars of that are what to eat, when to eat, and actually how to eat. There's an actual mechanism and process of eating that I work with people, and I question them on it every time. Uh, it's very regimented. You're like their uh, parole officer in, <laughs> I in a way, right? So. Maybe so. <laughs> um, but they really are simple things, and it's altering over time and in practicing what people are eating, when they're eating in the day, and this regimen of how they're eating, the actual steps of eating, as well as drinking water throughout the day and hydrating. So you get to that three to five month area, you have the surgery, and then after the surgery, what are those little steps that people need to take to make sure that they're on the right track? Well, the first one is drinking water. So my patients, for the three weeks after their operation, they're on liquids, no solids. They drink water, broth, and other liquids like that. And with the new anatomy in their stomach, uh, they can't fit much in at any one time, hmm. yet they have to hydrate. So it's very important for them after their operation to take a tiny sip of this liquid every three to five minutes, like clockwork throughout the day. And it takes some discipline to do that, but that's very important. So it is truly a very small thing, but the cumulative effect over time is very important. I'm imagining you calling them every three to five minutes. And, <laughs> of course. Uh, you do that with all your patients? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think they might be annoyed by you. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, so can people achieve these same things without going through the surgery? Great question. I get it all the time. Um, what the data would suggest to us, in other words, the statistics is no. And I've tried to make sense of that. Why is that? That actually shocks me to hear that answer. I, I, I thought it was going to be yes, but yeah. no. So I, I like analogies. Uh-huh. Uh, you see my posture right now. I'm slouching over a little bit. I cannot tell you how many times, how many mornings I've committed myself to having perfect posture throughout the day. 
And 40 seconds later, I'm slouching again because I'm thinking about something else or I'm engaged in, in some yeah, other I activity. I do the same exact thing, yeah. Right. It's virtually impossible. It's the same idea. This operation, as we mentioned before, provides 24-7 biofeedback, these new sensory signals going from the body into the brain. And so in a way, there's 24-7 reminders for people to be doing certain things. And it's a very powerful thing to have that. And I sometimes am jealous of people of having that type of reminder and these types of biofeedback. You get to stand up straight all the time and I have to keep thinking about it. Precisely. They're going to have perfect (laughs) spine health. (laughs) I'm curious, what is your success rate, Dr. Brown? Well, first, it's important to define success. Uh, Generally speaking in the literature, the bariatric surgery literature, success is defined as someone losing and keeping off at least 50% of their excess weight. So if starting out they had an extra 100 pounds, success would be considered losing at least 50 pounds and keeping it off. Again, the vast majority of people underestimate their ability to be successful. In other words, they end up being far more successful than they ever expected, and it, it turns out being a lot easier than they thought. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but this maybe begs the question is, wh- what are our goals? And I think, really, it's not a number on the scale. Yes, we want to help people lose weight and keep it off for the rest of their lives. But in doing so, also we are targeting the fundamental cause of diabetes, high blood pressure, abnormal cholesterol, and the factors, the risk factors that really drive the big killers today, like cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, and cancer. Really, we are targeting the fundamental cause of all of those things. And so success, if you look at weight, the success rate of is don't be modest just uh, give it to us <laughs> 75 to 80 percent wow really um so four out of five people basically yeah wow uh but if you look at diabetes in the last say five years 92 percent of my patients who start the process out as diabetics get off of all of their diabetes medications oh. and the same thing is true is for, for blood pressure uh, and those other risk factors so what was that number? Ninety-two percent. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. In in some circles, you know, the international diabetes organizations they refer to this as metabolic surgery, and they recommend these operations for treating diabetes because of that success rate. And the alternative is just completely unsuccessful. You don't hear about people being cured of their diabetes right. really outside of bariatric surgery. So tell us about some of the some of the challenges these people go through when they start going through your program from an emotional standpoint? Well, we've known since the 1960s that guilt and shame is part of the cause of obesity. Yet, what do we do? What do doctors do? We, we guilt and shame our patients. Tell them to, they need to be eating less and they need to be exercising more. The thoughts and feelings of guilt and shame and feeling like a failure, feeling judged those are part of the cause of obesity. Hmm. So, as we mentioned, just about everybody that comes in to some degree feels like they're a failure. And we all have this story about our lives that we engage every day. Well, we find that these folks have a very negative life story. And that is one of the targets that we want to change or, or improve 
In other words, six months after surgery, nine months after surgery, one of my maybe most important goals is for a person to completely rewrite the story of their lives and what their potential is. And so the underlying philosophy with this approach is we inform people, we teach them what's really going on, we give them steps to take, and we encourage them to simply to practice principles every day, to not judge themselves for not being perfect at any of this stuff. We practice principles every day. That's it. And the goal is progress. And over time, that progress builds up and people can change their lives in very dramatic ways. And so I've seen people, when they have changed their lives, and not necessarily with weight, but in a lot of different areas, their spouses, sometimes there's a jealousy factor there. Um, They're getting misinformation from everybody, including their doctors. Uh, Can you speak to that? Sure, it's fascinating. Uh, there's been research published in the last three years um, that has shown that very thing. So say you walk into a Christmas party, and it's a buffet, and you're there with friends or family or coworkers. This research has shown that 98% of people in that setting will try to get you to compromise your diet or your nutrition plan. Uh, it's okay you this it. one time we're celebrating tonight. Precisely. Yeah. And when I first read this, these papers, I was very discouraged about human nature. Um, but I think it's actually very helpful to understand that. And I very often tell people that. And no, don't be surprised if you get this. These people do love you. It's just something in human nature that I'm not sure why. Maybe the feeling of being threatened. But it's very common for the people around us in subtle ways, sometimes not so subtle ways, to try to sabotage us. And why would a doctor sabotage somebody? Or or is that inadvertent? It's because they don't have, we're all human, I guess. Sure. Nobody has all the knowledge. Well, what I, what I have heard from patients is that physicians can look down on people who have this struggle uh, because they're functioning with the older understanding that it is a matter of willpower and that a person just needs to discipline themselves and eat less and get up and exercise. And so if, if that's my understanding and someone comes in to get help, it's hard not to feel prejudiced that, look, they're just not doing their part. Yeah. And so while I don't think physicians or medical providers actively try to sabotage, sometimes they work against people by making them feel more guilty than they are already. What is your favorite part about your job? I just told someone today, I have the best job in the world. And the reason is I see people learn new things and apply those things and completely change their lives. I often tell people that when this is all said and done, nine months or a year after the operation, I really want them to use this whole experience as a springboard to really do whatever on the planet yeah. they want to do and what they were meant to do. Um, that's the power in it. I want people to go beyond and to do whatever they want to. And so my favorite thing about my job is seeing that happen, is seeing people discover that their potential is far greater than they ever thought. I love that. I'm excited when we finally introduce these two beautiful women who are going to take this journey. I'm excited to hear their stories. I'm excited to hear about their failures in life, and I'm excited for them to open up and and say, hey, 
this is who I am, but it's not who I want to be. And I know this can go into a positive direction because there's so many people out there that are going through this saying, that's me. You know, I'm, I even get like a little emotional thinking about it. It's not an issue that I've had really in my life, but I've known a lot of people. I've got a daughter that kills her, you know, yeah. sorry that I get emotional. I'm not it's even a okay. patient. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I understand. I get this way in clinic and many of my patients do too because it's real. Yeah. And like I said, they're very vulnerable and they have things come out that they never talk about. Right. So when we do bring these ladies in here, are you, how are we going to do this in the future? Are we going to have you with them? Is it going to be just me and her? Or what, what are we thinking? All the above, maybe. <laughs> we get to play this uh, however we want to. Right. I'm really excited. Uh, is there anything else out there that you want people to know that are struggling with being overweight that you think is crucial for them to know right now as they listen to this podcast? There are answers. There are real answers and solutions to the problem, and it is not the fault of the individual. You know, we all have responsibility to live our best lives, but in a very real way, it's not their fault. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for coming in. I am so excited to be on this journey with you. I cannot wait to talk to these beautiful women and see how it changes every aspect of their life. And uh, thank you for, I mean, you're doing God's work, man. This is really great stuff. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.